for a word of prayer. Eternal God, may your name continue to be hallowed throughout this universe. Your name is above all names. At your name, demons tremble. At your name, things change. Circumstances change. And God, right now, we pause just to say thank you. Thank you for every good and perfect gift because we realize that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We thank you for homes, jobs, and families, and dear God, we even thank you for our enemies because they keep us on our knees and on our face in constant prayer to you. I pray right now that you would hide me behind the cross, that they not see me but hear you speak through me give me the words to say to these your people and we be careful to give glory and the honor that's due you it's in the merciful matchless and magnificent name of your son and our redeemer that we pray Amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise for, for his praise team. They've done an awesome job. I don't know if you had the opportunity to come to uh, the vacation Bible school, but it was awesome. It was full, um, full of energy every night. I'm sure it was. I only was here Wednesday, but I'm sure it was full of energy every night. I mean, we worshiped that night. We worshiped. There was so much energy. I couldn't go to work that Thursday morning. I was, I was, still, I was still tired, man. I was still basking in the glory. I sent out a text and told my people I wouldn't be in the office. I had some things to do. I planted flowers, let some miracle grow. Went to breakfast with my wife, come back home, got a shower, went to bed, woke up and started on the sermon. That's what I did. But God is truly good. Would you agree? God is truly good. All right. Y'all going to start that clock? How much time I got? But anyway, there is a word. 53 minutes. I don't know if I got that much to say. I might, I might have to say, uh, touch five people and high five and run around the building. Just kind of take up some of that time. Uh, but there is a word. And it comes from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Romans, chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. And when you have it, I want to invite you to stand with me uh, in reverence to the reading of God's word. Romans, chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. I'll be reading... Uh, from the King James Version. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Listen to the word of the Lord. And not only so, but we glory 
in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to use for a subject this morning. How can we have hope when everything looks hopeless? How can we have hope when everything looks hopeless? You know, Brother Charles, life is full of disappointments, misfortunes, struggles, and setbacks. And sometimes we can very easily become overwhelmed to the point that we lose our focus. We lose our joy. And ultimately, we lose our hope. Imagine with me this morning uh, a young woman married to her high school sweetheart, her knight in shining armor. They're living the American dream. Beautiful home, luxury vehicles, and two wonderful kids. And one afternoon, the husband comes home and says that he wants out. Out of town, out of his job, and out of the marriage. Now, not only is this young woman heartbroken and devastated, but now she's wondering, how am I going to make it on my own? How can I have hope when everything looks hopeless? How about after 30 years of loyal service to your employer, they lay you off at the end of the workday just because they need to increase company profits. And even worse, the stock market crashes. And now your 401k drops from $150,000 to $15,000. And now you're asking how can I have hope when everything looks hopeless? How can we have hope when everything that could possibly go wrong all goes wrong at the same time? I want to remind you today, brothers and sisters, that there are no hopeless cases with God. There's no problem so big that God can't handle and there's none so small that he won't care. Let's look at our text this morning. Apostle Paul is our writer, and he writes to the church at Rome. Now, Paul, a.k.a., formerly known as Saul from Tarsus, which is located in modern-day Turkey, 
Now, what I like about Paul, thank you, Holy Ghost. Sometimes Holy Ghost just drives you away from them notes. I like Paul because Paul and I have something in common. Because for, before that encounter with Christ, Paul was a nobody. And uh, I was a nobody, as many, of, as many as you were as well. Paul was on his way to Damascus to, 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 to locate Christians. And he had been given permission to drag them into jail and lock them up. He was on a mission. He was, to he was persecuting the church. And he was going to arrest these people by any means necessary. Now, I sometimes wonder if Paul would come in here today and arrest those, not who say they're Christian, but arrest those who calls on the name of Jesus, would you be arrested? If Paul was to walk in here today and arrest everybody who called on the name of Jesus Christ, those who trusted him, those who put their life in his hands, would he arrest you? That's not no look at your neighbor kind of message. That's talking about you. I don't preach look at your neighbor messages. I preach messages that is directed at the individual. Because so many times we can say, my wife don't need to hear that. My, my neighbor need to hear No, you need to hear this. My messages are toward each individual and me. Sometimes these things cut me harder than it cut some of the other folk. But Paul has earned the right to talk about hope. Because Paul oftentimes, he found himself in what we would consider hopeless situations. Uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to look at verses 24 through 33. You think that you're having a bad day. You think that you had a bad week or a difficult month or you think you have a difficult life. Paul knows all too well about struggles. He knows all too well about misfortune. So he has earned the right to speak about hope. Let's look at verse 24 and look at some of the things that he had to endure. He said of the Jews, five times receive our 40 stripes, save one. In other words, there were five different occasions he received from the Jews, his own people, 39 lashes. He says three times he was beaten with a rod. Once he was stoned. Three times he suffered shipwreck on a cruise ship. And it wrecked three times. Let me tell you something. First time I was on a cruise ship, uh, Brother Craig, some of y'all remember that. Monica and Mac, uh, some of y'all was uh, Leroy. Uh, we were on that ship. That sucker got the rocket <laughs> in a reeling. Uh, thank you, Leroy and White. They had, some of them was taking pills. Some of them had on bracelets that, you know, stopped the motion. And so my wife was sitting there. And they said, you okay, Gwen? She had that old lion-like smile on her face. She's smiling. But she was in panic mode, the same as I was. So we eased our way back 
to our room. I guess that's what they call it, huh? Room? What they call that? Cabin. We ease back to our cabin, and it seemed as if that, that, that cruise ship hit something. My wife and I, we were so scared, we grabbed each other close and hugged each other. Not for no lovemaking. We were hugging each other out of fear that this may be it. And so we, I vowed that I would never get on another ship as long as I was black and over 21. But Paul says he suffered shipwreck. He said a night and a day he had been in the deep. He had to tread water for a day and a half. And the only thing that kept him above water was a piece of the wreckage. And you're saying that you having a bad day. He says in journeys, he always has to travel all on his missionary journey. He said he had perils of water. He was danger, in danger in the water. He was in danger by robbers. He was in danger by his own countrymen. He was um, in, in danger by his enemies. He was in danger in the city. He was in danger in the wilderness. He was in danger in the sea. And he was in danger among false brethren. So he, he, he weary. Anybody ever get weary from time to time? He's saying in the old church, that weary, what was weary, worn, and sad. It may not be the same thing, but anyway. Painfulness. I used to hear my mom say, I used to get in trouble a lot in school. She would have to, uh, somebody, can we mute her? Uh, my, wife, my wife's a heckler. She will always heckle me. There's going to be a whole lot of amens here in a few minutes. Uh, and so my wife would, I mean, my wife, see there? My mother would have to leave school and come to school to help the folk discipline me. So my mama came to school to help them discipline me. You know what she did. I mean, then she would say, you know, we should go to school and focus and stuff. And she having to work and everything. And then she said she had to work while she hunting. So she, she knew about pain. So Paul said he endured weariness. He endured pain. He was constantly struggling. And then he says, um, painful in watchings, in hunger and thirst. Sometimes he said he didn't have enough to eat. Sometimes he never had enough to drink. And then he said, look. Often he was had to be in the cold and without the proper clothing. And then Paul said, besides all that, you think that would be it? I mean, just think all these things he went through with all the struggles, the hardships, the misfortunes that he encountered. He said on top of that, he had to worry about the cares of the churches. He was having a problem without and he's having a problem within. And if you, under, you know, I don't know if you know, but Paul um, founded the church at Rome, the church in Corinth. And by the way, don't, I don't want to offend nobody, but don't, don't name your child Corinth or Corinthians. Corinthian was like the Vegas of its day. Anything you wanted, you could get it in that church. Origin. Drugs. Alcohol. Anything you wanted, you could get it in that church. And I'm sorry to say there are some churches today that you still can get that kind of stuff in. But he had the care of the church. He founded the church at Rome. He founded the church at Corinth. He founded the church at Galatia. He founded the church at Ephesus. He founded the church at Philippi. He founded the church at Colossae. And he founded the church at Thessalonica. 
But through all the suffering, all the heartaches, the misfortunes and the setbacks, Paul endured. He still says in verse three of chapter five that we shall glory in tribulation. Now, it seems like he's a crazy man. He's saying that you should glory in tribulation. In other words, Paul is saying that we should embrace our struggles. Can you imagine that? Paul says embrace your struggles. But not only does Paul teach us to uh, uh, embrace our struggles, but also James the brother of Jesus Christ, the younger brother of Jesus Christ, he said in James chapter one, verse two, he said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. In other words, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and tribulations and setbacks. But how can I have hope when everything seems hopeless? You know, I've learned and I I had to learn this, that when we go through trials, suffering, misfortune and setback, I've discovered that a setback is a setup for a comeback. A setback is a setup for a comeback. So I know this is what you've been waiting on. How can I have hope when everything looks hopeless? Paul says in the midst of our suffering, we can rejoice because the challenges that we face in this thing called life causes us to, number one, rely on God's presence. Number one, if you want to rejoice in your struggles and your setbacks and your misfortune, the first thing you need to do is to rely on God's presence. God is an omnipresent God. That means he's everywhere and he's everywhere at the same time. When we go through struggles and suffering, we often pray and see God more intensely than at other times. Would you agree? I mean, everything, as long as everything's going hunky-dory, then rarely do we call on God. I mean, when the house note is being met, when the children are acting fine, when the husband is not tripping out, and when the wife is, 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 is not spending money that she shouldn't spend, hello, somebody, then we normally don't call on God. But as soon as we don't have enough money to pay the bills, and after we stop blaming each other, And then as soon as the kids are disobedient and you you, you can't find them half the time and not doing their homework, uh, and then when uh, the pantry is low, the deep freeze is empty, and when, when something goes on, then we have a tendency to call on God. So it's safe to say when we go through suffering, we often pray and see God more intensely than at other times. You see, my greatest times of growth have been when I've reached the end of my resources and all I have left is Jesus. And sometimes God uses suffering to make us rely on him. David says in Psalm 46, verse 1, he said that God is our refuge and strength. 
a very present help in times of trouble. I stopped by to tell you today, EBC, that we serve a God who is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. The same God on the mountaintop, he's the same God that's in the valley. David says, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. He says, even though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because David knew the same God on the mountaintop is the same God that's in the valley. Unfortunately, there are many that think that God is some kind of father time, that he's, he's, he's outdated, he's out of touch, he's uninformed. They think that he is sitting upon his celestial throne, twiddling his thumbs. But I want you to know that God is very much alive and well. And he's a very present help in the time of storm. Uh, many of you remember the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar had set up an image of gold in the plain of Dura, and he had asked, he had asked all the high-ranking officials to come to his celebration. And he showed them this image of gold, and he said, whenever you hear the sound of the music, he said, I want you to bow and worship this image of gold. But there were some astrologers, some people from Babylon First of all, they were jealous because these Jews were over there through no fault of their own. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were over there because the Jews had refused to repent and obey God as the prophet Jeremiah had warned them. And so they were over there because of something that their mama and their daddy and their grandparents had did. So now the kids suffer the consequences. Let me tell you something. When you doing something, or you're in a situation that you shouldn't be in, and then you say, it ain't hurting nobody but me. Friend, you're wrong. You're an alcoholic, you're a drug addict, you're a gambler, and you're saying, I ain't hurting nobody but myself. And this is one I really hate, when adults say stuff like this. They tell you, do this. Don't do this, but then you're doing it. And they say, well, mama, daddy, you doing it. You know what I hate, brother Craig? When the parents say, I'm grown. Because you grown don't give you no right to do something that's wrong and something that's not only going to offend you, but it's also going to offend your family. Some of us in the shape that we're in right now because of generational curses. A lot of men, you're a whole monger because your daddy was a whole monger. A lot of you kids got 15 kids out of the way of because your mama had 15 kids out of the way of life. And we're suffering from generational curses. So stop saying, I ain't hurting nobody but myself. You're hurting your entire family. So these boys are in Babylonian captivity, and they, and they worship the almighty God. And these kids, these were, I say kids, they were young men. These boys were 17 years old in a foreign land. My wife and I went to, where we went that time? Cancun. We went to Cancun one time. And the, and the lady told us, she said, look, so you in Cancun. Don't nobody know you. She let your hair down. Let me tell you something. You go somewhere, God knows. First of all, somebody's going to know you. 
And then God knows because he who watches Israel, he neither slumber nor sleep. So these boys worship the one and true God. Well, word got out that they were not worshiping that image of gold as they had been instructed. And some of these boys was jealous. These Babylonian boys were jealous because these boys were Jews. They were outsiders. And they went and told the king. I'm telltale. Anybody y'all know in telltale? You got telltale in your family? This, this, look, y'all. This is a participatory message. So when I, when I ask you something, you can say something back. Okay, let's try it again. Anybody know any telltales on your job? Still? Okay, there we go. Anybody know any telltales uh, where you go to school at, young, young adults? You any telltale where you go to school at? You, you got any telltales? Uh, uh, did I say home already? Did I say home? All right, you got telltale in church? All right, now let me ask you this one right here. Oh, you a telltale. <laughs> see, a lot of times we can't see the forest for the tree. I can tell what the other person doing, but I can't see what I'm doing. And so they went and tell the king, said, oh, king, these boys that you brought here, said they are not worshiping your image of gold. They refuse to worship your image of gold. And so the king calls them in and asks them, said, is it true that you don't worship the image of gold that I set up? So I'm going to give you one more chance. And if you don't worship the image of gold, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And these boys said, oh, king, we ain't got to answer you in this matter. Because we are not going to worship your God, nor are we going to worship the image of gold that you had set up. Now, if you want to throw us in the fiery furnace, that's your choice. Because the God that we serve, he is able to deliver us from the furnace. And if he don't, we're still not going to bow down to your image of gold. King says, start the music. These boys still refuse to obey the king's order. So the king instructed his men to turn the furnace up seven times hotter than it normally was. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You don't know nothing about these accelerators. I do. My wife says, uh, what you say I am? A maniac? Because I work at a funeral home. So it's a Bobby and I see them when they put me in the incinerator. I watch them. They get them out the, get out the freezer. They had one boy, he was a popper. Popper means you can't afford a burial. And so they brought him down from Natchitoches, and uh, old boy unwrapped him in there. They finna get ready to load him up. He had Dallas Cowboy jacket on. Oh, hold up, hold up. I'm like, I'm like, hold up, hold up. Can I, can I, can I get that jacket? But he, he turns him in on an incinerator. I think it turned about 425, 500 degrees. And then about two minutes, about two hours, then they, they gone. Sometimes I feel big smoke just gulping out of there. I know that's a big one. That's a big person there when that smoke's gulping. And so, like I say, in a matter of minutes, then the person is, is reduced to ashes. So this is what the king was telling these boys. Basically, they're saying, if you don't bow to the image of gold, he said, I'm going to cremate you alive. So the boys refuse to do this. And so he, 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 he gives a command to load these boys up, put them in there, get everything that they have and put it in an incinerator, turn it up seven times hotter than normal because he wants to show these boys a point. He said that the command was so urgent that the people who grabbed these boys and threw them in the furnace, they got burned up. 
And so he throws Daniel, not Daniel, he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into this fiery furnace. And all of a sudden, the king walking around, trying to see what's going on with him. And the king stopped and said, wait a minute. He said, didn't we put three people in the furnace? They said, yes, king, we did. He said, well, now I see a fourth one in there and is walking like the son of God. Let me tell you something. You serve an ever-present God. Wherever you find yourself at, then God is in the midst of it. I don't want you to ever feel like you are alone and nobody understands. God is always with you. He's always present. They tell me when they took these boys out of the fiery furnace, said they wasn't a hair on their head cinched. They didn't even smell like smoke. That's the kind of God that we serve. So you can have hope in a hopeless situation because you can rely on God's presence. Secondly, you can rely on God's provision. I'm working that clock, ain't it? You can, you can rely on God's provision. We call him Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. I told my wife I was going to sing. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Okay. We serve a God that provides for us. Told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You know, Moses had a speech impediment. Moses said, well, who, 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 he said, tell me that I am. God says, I am. I am what? What do you, what you need? God says, I am. I am whatever you need. Well, we saying, son, whatever you need, God's got it. You need more love? God's got it. You need power to forgive? God's got it. My wife said, why are you talking about finances and family and sickness? Because that's where we at. That's what we deal with. Well, I'm going to talk about something that we uh, dealing with. I don't need to be talking about the mustard seed too much because we ain't got many farmers in here. They taught agricultural back then because that's what people related to. I got to talk about issues and things that we, we know about. That, what's wrong? Uh, uh, we got all kinds of problems. Marriage. 50% of all marriages in a divorce. That's in the church. I ain't talking about our death. I'm talking about in him. 50% of all marriages end in divorce in the church. And of that 50% that stay together, only 25% of them have any real intimacy. I ain't talking about sex. A lot of times you talking about intimacy. We, we got to think you're talking about some sex. Intimacy, that's, that's transparency. You need to be in a situation where you can be transparent. You can say how you feel without being trampled on or, or, or things like that. So that's why I talk about marriage. That's why I talk about finances. Because if you go look at the public record, most, most folk bankrupt. They overspent. You done been to Boston stuff? You can't even pay for them. We done bought some stuff to impress some people that we don't even like. Just go, just go buy some stuff. Ain't it right, Gwen? Now, I ain't talking about her, I'm talking about me. Buying cars and stuff. What them car salesmen saying? You buying cars and trucks and stuff? You don't, you don't need them. Yeah. You're, trying, you're chasing that new car smell. Chasing that new car smell. But you can rely on God 
when it seems hopeless because of God's provision. God provides. He provides every and anything that you need. In Genesis chapter 22, God gave Abraham a command to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, Abraham was like 100 years old when Isaac was born. And God had told him through, he said, Abraham, through your seed, all nations are going to be blessed. So God had promised him and Sarah that little boy. And they named him Isaac, meaning laughter. Because when God said, y'all going to have some kids, they started laughing. <laughs> they started laughing. And so God said, okay, let's name that boy Funny Boy. Laughter. So God tells Abraham, Abraham, I want to know how much do you love me? You know, it's one thing to say you love me, but then you got to put some action with that. Don't tell me you love me. If you love your wife, then uh, you pay her a little attention. Tell her she look nice. If she say, do I look fat in this dress? Say no. <laughs> say no. That's a setup. Yeah, it's a setup. And you might not be able to come back from that one. Um, but compliment your wife. You love your wife, compliment her. I heard a story about a man, he never complimented his wife, and the first guy that did compliment her, he killed him. You need to tell your wife you look good. Amen. Women, you need to tell your husband he look good. You need to tell him. You need to tell him. And so God said, I want to, I'm going to test you. See if you love me like you say you do. That sounds like a blues song, don't it? Do you love me like you say you do? And so he tells Isaac, take the boy. No, he tells Abraham, take the boy. Take him up to Mount Moriah. Kill him. Lay him up on a sacrifice on the table and then kill him. And what, how would you have responded to something like that? Don't, don't give me no church answer. You know, I hate church answers. You know what a church answer is? Folk tell you what they think you want to hear. They don't want no confrontation. They don't want to deal with the issue. So they tell you what they think you want to hear. So God says, take him and kill him. Do you know what Abraham did? He gathered up the wood, gathered up the fire, and gathered up Isaac. Now theologians debate as to how old Isaac was, but we ain't going to lose track of what's going on because of Isaac. Some people think they were two years old. But he put the wood on top of Isaac to carry up the mountain. So you can't put no wood on a two-year-old boy talking about carrying up a mountain. So anyway, he, they, they head up to the mountain, and he take a couple of his servants with him. Abraham was rich, y'all. He, he, he had bukus of money. You know what bukus is? A lot. He had bukus of money. And so they head up to the mountain, Mount Moriah. Abraham, let me tell you something about Abraham. As I read that text, Abraham had faith. Abraham says, look, y'all stay here. Me and my son are going to go up and worship, and we'll be back. We'll be back. God had just told him to kill the boy. He said, we're going to worship, and we'll be back. So he takes him up on top of Mount, uh, Mount Moriah, and he straps him to this uh, sacrificial table, and then he takes a knife, and he takes that knife, and then he begins to come down and kill Isaac, and God said, Abraham, don't touch the child. He said, look over in the bush, in the thicket. He said, I got a ram in the bush. We serve Jehovah Jireh. 
Jehovah Jireh, when it looked hopeless, guess what? He always has a ram in the bush. God always has a ram in the bush. So when you are going through struggles and trials and mishaps and struggles, number one, rely on God's presence. And then secondly, rely on God's provision. God, God provides. David said, I, I was young and now I'm old. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. We have a God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Ain't he, ain't he good? And then thirdly, we can rely on God's power. God has power over sickness and disease. He has power over our financial situation. He has power over the elements. I know you heard the story that Jesus and his disciples were. He told them, let's get in the ship and go to the other side. That should have been enough right there when he said, let us go over to the other side. He ain't said it's going to be smooth, did he? He ain't said it's going to be smooth, but we got to take him at his word. He said, let us go to the other side. So they boarded the ship for what they thought was going to be a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. What about Gilligan Island fans that? Y'all ain't heard that song? So the weather started getting in the rough. The tainted ship was tossed. If it wasn't for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. But see, what they got to understand, they had Jesus as part of their crew. They had Jesus as part of their crew. So they were out on the Sea of Galilee and it started out just nice and everything. But all of a sudden, the weather started getting boisterous. And when you're out there on that Sea of Galilee, when that, uh, because it's located in a valley, so when that cool, moist air meets that warm air, a storm is sure to brew. Isn't that the way life is? You're just going on, enjoying life, and everything is good. Then out of nowhere, a storm comes. A storm of sickness. A storm of death. Just, just a storm, a struggle. And Jesus is in the stern asleep. Now, I know you felt that way. I'm not the only one that felt it. I called on Jesus, and he was somewhere asleep. We thought he was asleep. But you got to remember, he's 100% God, and he also was 100% man. He felt what we felt. He got tired. He got mad. Let me tell you something. As a Christian, it's okay to get mad, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. He got mad. He stormed into this temple. He wasn't no nice guy. We started turning tables over. He didn't say, oh, fellas, we need to stop doing this. That money changing. We need fellas, fellas. No, he said, you making my father's house out of den, den of thieves. So it's okay to get angry. So they called on Jesus. And they said, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? You ever feel like you're going down? You got so many problems. You got problem after problem after problem. You get one thing fixed, something else broken. And then you just start singing like Rose Ross. I'm going down. You, go, you ever feel that way? You got you up to here in problems and situations and circumstances. And, and just you just had it up to here. And so Jesus stands up. And he speaks to the storm. He said, peace, be still. And you know what I like about Jesus' peace? It's, it's that salon. 
It's the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's the peace that when all hell is going on in my whatever, on the inside, I got joy. Granny used to say, joy, 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 down in my heart, down in my heart. And folk be wondering what's wrong with you. You just got a divorce, and then you walk around, you're smiling. You're smiling because you just got rid of the problem that you had. <laughs> Don't be calling on Betty Joe and Betty Jane because they took your man. I mean, look, you should be rejoicing because now Betty Joe got the problem. So Jesus gets up in the midst of the storm and says, peace, be still. And they tell me that the wind got smooth as glass at that point. So you're going through a situation and you feel powerless in your situation. Call on Jesus and let Jesus speak a word to your problem. And I guarantee you, he'll either solve the problem or he'll change how you feel about the problem. A lot of times we got stuff that we won't go out and do something about it right now. Not right now. More instant, right now. I need something to be done right now. We saying, and Jesus, God is saying, you don't have to move the mountain. Just give me the strength to climb it. But we want, we want stuff moved. God, I got some folk right now on my job. Now, this is a scenario. Now, I ain't saying I do. Somebody saying, I got some problems on my job, and I just about had enough of her, Lord. Lord, I know you got some hit angels up there. Send about four, five of them hit angels down here, and I mean just wipe her out. And God saying, no, I ain't going to do nothing to her. I'm going to change how you feeling about her. Because most of the time, it's not the problem that's the problem. It's your reaction to the problem that's the problem. I need to say that again. If. What? What? What I missed? I'm going to say it again. I just had thought about something. If, uh, if, brother, if Brother Craig come up here and snap me, I'm not responsible for Craig snapping me. I'm responsible how I respond to Craig slapping me. Am I going to slap him back? Or am I going to say, Brother Craig, that was not very nice. <laughs> I mean, we got a choice. What you going to do? But this is what I said. I said most of the time, it's not the problem that's the problem. It's our reaction to the problem that's the problem. Somebody do you wrong, I mean, doing them wrong in return is not helping the situation, is it? All it's going to do is, you, you, you got me, I'm going to get you now. I'm going to get you better. I'm going to get you much better. And it, it just goes on. We got, we, got, we got to come in there. Oh, thank you. We, 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 we've got to, first of all, we got to have some on the inside. If you come to church and you ain't getting nothing, then when the enemy comes, you ain't going to have nothing. Now, I love a good preacher if he hooping, holler, all like that, but come on, tell me a little something first. I need to know how to handle that person that I don't really like, you know, because I need, I need to have something. Because what's in me going to come out. I need more than, uh, ain't he all right? Ain't he all right? Yeah, he all right, but I need something else. <laughs> how, how, am I, how am I supposed to love my wife? How am I supposed to raise my kid? How am I 
am I supposed to handle my finances? How am I supposed to love my, treat my neighbor? I need, that's what I need like that. I don't need no, no, ain't he all right? I know he ain't all right. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I, I need something else. Rely on God's power. I want to go to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 11, and I'm going to get out of here. Like I said, Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter um, 12, verse 7 through 11. We can rely on God's power. Paul says that he had been given opportunity to go up into heaven. And he saw some things that no man could ever see. And he heard some things that no man should be able to hear. And so he said, God, to keep him level-headed and keep him humble, because as a people, if we ain't careful, we can become not humble. We can, we can, we can become not humble or prideful. That's the word. We can become prideful. You know, if you sing pretty good, you can become prideful if you ain't careful. You'll be thinking about, uh, if I don't show up, they won't sing that song. That's what we be thinking. Right, that's my song. If I don't sing that song, it won't be sung. One thing I like about Mariah, Mariah, about 10 people can sing the same song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you, you don't come? You don't come. Uh, preachers. I had to be hard to preach because I'm one. Sometimes we, we have a tendency to get a little humble. I've been preaching now since uh, 2000. What that is? 18 years? 18 years. By year five, I thought I had that stuff together, Brother Craig. I had that stuff together. Didn't study. Didn't pray. There's a lot of preachers like that. They don't study. They don't pray. Listen at the text. Because once they read it, you don't hear nothing else about it. And so we, I remember about year five, man, I thought I had it together. I ain't study. I ain't pray. I went up there, fell flat on my face because of pride, because of pride. So God sent the enemy. Sometimes God will put the enemy on you because sometimes he put the enemy on you. He want to make sure your faith is genuine. Let me tell you something. If the devil ain't after you, he already got you. Paul said God sent an enemy of Satan to buffet him to make sure he stayed in a state of humility. And so Paul said it seemed as if God had put um, a thorn in his side. Anybody in here have a thorn in your side? A thorn in your side, man, is almost like a, a, a fly. You had a fly come around, you swat him away, and he come back again, he slide him away, and he come back again, you fly him away, and he come back again. You get the idea? So it's like a nuisance. And so Paul says that it seemed as if it was a thorn in my side. Somebody in here today, you got some thorn in your side. And Paul asked three times, he's asked the Lord three times to move it. That's what I said a while ago. We want God to move stuff. But then God told Paul, he said, I ain't going to move it. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. 
Somebody going through something today, you want God to move it. And God is saying, my grace is sufficient. All you need is my grace to sustain you to, 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 to maneuver and go through whatever it is you're going through. He said, my grace is sufficient. And Paul's discovered, Paul says, when I'm, when I'm weak, then God is strong. A lot of times we don't get to see God uh, flex his spiritual muscles because we always want to think we got it. You ain't got it. If you've been dealing with the same problem for 15 years, now fine. You're going through the same problem over and over and over and over and over and over. You get the idea? You ain't got it. I had a guy used to work with, he's an alcoholic. He's drink, drink, drink. He said, I don't alcoholic. He said, I just love to drink. He said, I can stop whenever I get ready. But the problem is, I guess he, he, he never really wanted to. You got to have a want to. Whatever you're going through, how big is your want to? Do you want to get over what you got bad enough to give it to God? God said, my grace is sufficient for you. He's saying that when you are weak. So Paul goes on to say, hey, I'm going to boast in my weakness. We don't want folks to know we got none going on. I tell Galilee all the time, don't think for one minute because I'm standing up here and I got it all together. I got struggle just like you do. Satan be on my doorstep more times than he be on your doorstep because I call him what he is. He a liar and the truth ain't in him. He a deceiver. He wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy churches. He wants to destroy marriage. He wants to destroy our kids. Our, just, he wants to destroy Let God in. Or even some folk at the church. Let people know that you got struggles. Because more than likely, they, they're struggling with it too. Or they've already struggled with it. Most of y'all know you. I don't know if you know it or not. I got um, introduced to marijuana. I was 14 years old. And they used to tell you you couldn't get hooked. That's a lie. They hooked me. I almost lost my home. My family, because of the habit, all right? And when I finally got to a point, oh, yeah, I used to, I used to uh, borrow money from a little boy. He's seven years old, Danny. I borrowed money from him, take money out of his jaw, take money out of my wife's purse. She wasn't going to miss it. Even today, she, let me finish. I ain't going to say even today I still take money. I ain't say that. Let me finish. <laughs> let me finish. The reason I said that she wasn't going to miss it because she got cash all the time and it bottled up in a bottled up in a purse. It's bottled up in there. Money be all over the house and stuff. You know, I said, hey, I found this right here. And uh, it, was, it was her. So when I was back then, when I was taking money out of the purse, she wasn't gonna miss it. Might go buy me a little old 10 cents pouch. Y'all remember them? Come on now. Y'all remember 10 cents pouches? Buy me a little 10 cents pouch. And um, got hung up on uh, alcohol. Uh, started chasing uh, horses, started chasing uh, women, and uh, I mean, I was messed up. And I, and I said that I wanted to, I, I said, I'm through. I'm tired of what it's doing to me. I take the weed, I drive down the street, and I shake it out. I shake it out. It'd be like on a Friday. Monday morning, back to that drug dealer house again, getting some more. Just getting some more. And it was until I said, Lord, I got enough. I got a situation that I can't handle. And when I told him 
about the situation that I had, I could not handle. Let me tell you something. He delivered me instantly. I ain't, I ain't telling you about what, some, what, what somebody told me or what, what I read in a book. I'm talking about what I know. My old preacher said, I ain't telling you what I heard. So I ain't telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. When, I, when, my, when my want to got big enough that God stepped in and delivered me. And in 2004, I took my last hit out of a joint. And I've been free of that habit. But it's not until you recognize your weakness and allow God to come in and then he can flex his spiritual muscles and then the two of you can work it out together. You got to have the faith. You got to have the obedience. Then you got to follow the word. It goes, it goes, it's in that order. You got to have the want to, the obedience, and then follow with the word. But a lot of times we believe what God can do but when God tells us to do it, then we don't want to be obedient and do it. You got to have all three of them things working. You got to have faith, obedience, and then you got to follow. You got to have some word to follow on. What that soft music is for me to speed up? Oh. And I, it was a good time. I'm finna, I'm finna wrap this bad boy up. In our current I ain't been over here enough. In our current situations, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're facing today. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what your frustration is. I don't know what the what kind of peer pressure you're being faced with. I don't. I don't. I don't know your struggle. But whatever you're dealing with, God is saying that my grace is sufficient for you. And even when you feel weak, he is making you stronger than you've ever been. I stopped by to tell you today that the hell that you're going through may be the very circumstance that God wants to use to take you to the next level. What's your weakness today? Is it a son or a daughter? That hadn't quite turned out the way that you hoped he or she would. Is it a job situation that's gone awry? Is it a medical diagnosis that has you scared? Is it insults? Peer pressure? Hardships? A persecution? Is somebody ragging you out because of your faith? Whatever it is, Paul says that he will boast in these things because when we are weak, the power of God rests on us. 
Maybe you're hearing voices and the voices are telling you, just quit. Give up and let go. I want to tell you right now, Galilee, EBC, it's the enemy. It's the enemy. The enemy is on his job 24-7. Tell the enemy to go to hell. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Rely on God. No matter what struggles, difficulties, setbacks, disappointments, misfortunes that you may encounter, Rely on God. Rely on his presence. Rely on his provision. And rely on his power. God bless you and God keep you. That is my prayer.